You're listening to Profiles in France Formation, the podcast where we hear from inspiring people who have pursued their dream of moving to France. We learn about why they moved, how they overcame the challenges they faced, and what they love and hate about living in France. I hope that hearing their stories can help you to pursue your dreams and maybe your very own France Formation. I'm your host, Alison Grant-Luness, and I'm here to tell you, my guests followed their dreams and you can follow yours too. It starts today. Welcome to episode 52 of Profiles in Transformation. I'm your host, Allison Grant-Luness, and this week I'm speaking with Laura McIntyre, an Arkansas native who left corporate America to follow her dream of moving to Paris. After deciding to stay, Laura changed from a visitor status to a profession libérale visa status and put her passion for helping others discover Paris to work by starting a business helping people find and furnish their dream home here. Just a reminder, this is the last episode of the 2022 season, and we'll be back on Wednesday, January 4th with another episode about following your dream to create your new life in France. Happy holidays from the France Formation team, and we wish you a happy and healthy new year in 2023. Welcome, Laura. All right. Hi, Laura. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having me. Why don't we start with how did you move to Paris and what do you do? Well, I had worked in corporate retail in the United States, both for Walmart and Macy's in New York for over 10 years. And it just started to become something that I really couldn't do anymore. I felt kind of just like a body in a chair. I didn't feel like my work was valued for me as an individual, just as a role in the organization. So I started traveling around a bit on vacations, took some vacations by myself to see where I wanted to live. And I took a vacation to to Paris and felt like this is it. I feel inspired here and this is somewhere I'd like to be. So how can I move here? Well, you either have to be sponsored by a pretty serious company to to be able to come over here or go back to school. So I decided to go back to school and I got my student visa and got my master's at the Sorbonne. Cool. So what kind of studies did you do and what did you think that was going to lead to after you graduated? I studied art history, which I think Paris is one of the best classrooms in which to do so. And I think that I really just did that for me, for my own knowledge, for building on my intelligence. I was curious about art and art history because art history is world history and the cultures of the world and the people of the world. And I guess it wasn't really the wisest choice because it's not very easy to get a job in the art world in Paris, but at least I had the knowledge. So I'm glad that I did it. And, you know, maybe someday I'll get into into that world. But it led to me, my own business in which I help English speakers who want to visit or move to Paris with my own experience. So how did you develop that idea? And how did you make the decision to stay and to start this business? I wanted to stay in Paris. And so I needed the next step. And I asked myself, what am I good at? Obviously, I have experience in moving here and making it work out. I did it on my own. It was very difficult. If I could go back today, I probably would have asked for help because doing it on your own is extremely difficult. 
but I made it through. So I feel like I know pretty much the ins and outs of it. And so I, I think it's something that I decided I could be good at. And I want, I like to help people. And I, like I said, I've done it myself. So I have the experience. It just seemed like the next natural step. So what were some of the challenges when you were in a French university? What was that experience like? What was the classroom experience like? And how was it different from what you might have been used to in the U.S.? The first thing that was challenging was I did speak French before I came, but would not say at a university level. So in every single class, I had to sit at the front of the class, record it, go home, transcribe it, and then afterwards study it. So probably every single thing that we were involved in in the coursework probably took me three times longer than the French students. Another thing that was really challenging was that the classroom sizes were so large. I would have classes that would be like 200 people. And so you're in a huge space with rickety chairs and moving tables and people talking and the acoustics are terrible. So for somebody really trying to listen, it was very challenging. Also, the French system, education system is very different because everyone is in effect guaranteed a right to education. So it's very different from the American system where we pay for an education, but we're babysat. And so we're really taken care of throughout the whole process. And we have like a structured framework that's very clear about what's going to be required of us in order to get a good grade in this class. And the French university is not like that at all. They don't have time because the resources are not there. So they don't have time to, to babysit you and to tell you exactly what you need to do. You have to figure it out on your own. So that was very, very challenging. Also being a bit older when I did that was challenging because, you know, I was with a bunch of, I was 34, 35, and I was with a bunch of kids that were like 18 to 21. So I didn't really have that student network either. So it was kind of a lonely experience. Not the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Even I, I was the same age as the other students when I did my French university coursework and it's still hard to to get in and make friends with people especially if like you said you're spending three times as much time on the coursework and the big classes aren't necessarily conducive to being able to see the same people from week to week and get to know people and do activities with them and things like that so what kinds of things did you start to do to make friends get integrated whether that was with Americans and other English speakers or whether that was out in, you know, associations within the Paris community? I I made some friends at school and some people were very helpful in giving me their notes. But I'd say the, the majority of the time I made friends outside of school, what time I did have, because I'll tell you, I felt like for the first several years when I lived in Paris, I was not integrated because when you're doing a master's, you pretty much have your head buried in the books. And I didn't even feel like I lived in Paris because I was studying so much. I was just pretty much home all the time. So any networking that I did do, fortunately, I lived in Montmartre, which I absolutely love. And I made a lot of friends within that community. And so that was kind of the 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 backbone of my support in those early years. And then um, since I've just branched out. And most recently I got involved with 
some American networks here in Paris, which I had not done before. I guess I kind of had in my head, like, why do I want to come to Paris and hang out with American people? But after a certain amount of time, you realize that you need people who understand you. And it really helps to get involved with the community. Yeah. Yeah, I also avoided it for for the longest time. And I mean, I was in the groups on social media and things like that. But it's it's hard to know if you want to get involved, especially my impression when I first got here, being in my early 20s, like I thought, you know, oh, everybody who's in these groups, like, is at a completely different life stage than me. They've been here a long time. They have families. They're like experienced professionals. And I'm just like this university student who knows how long I'm going to be here for. And I just didn't feel like I related to people. And I think the longer you're here, the more important it is to to get involved in some of those groups. I felt the same way that you did. I felt very temporary. And I, I didn't know that I would only be here temporarily because I knew that I wanted to stay. But some kind of a phenomenon that occurs when your future isn't really sure here is that you have a difficulty kind of making some French friends as well, because they're not going to invest the time in you if they think you're just going to run away, which is normal and makes sense. So you do end up feeling very alone. And so I really do think it is a good idea to incorporate yourself as soon as possible, because then you'll see that there are actually a lot of people just like you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird because you don't want to mislead people and think like, oh, I'm going to stay forever when you're not really sure. Or, and there are some, some of the groups, like I know Message, for example, is the, the group for parents in Paris, and they have a lot of activities for moms with young kids. And they have a lot of different stuff, but then they also have a group specific for what they call the lifers, like people who are here to stay long-term, which is different from people who, especially women following their husbands or people who are here for a couple of years on some kind of temporary contract who aren't sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the conversations are different and the, the goals are different. And it is hard to make friends as an immigrant or an expat when you're not sure, you know, when, when you have to keep doing it and keep meeting new people and people keep leaving. And absolutely. So what are some of the things that you've sort of developed as, as hobbies? And what are some of the things that you like to go out and do in Paris? Well, I think in typical French fashion, I like uh, what they call flannery, which is just wandering around. I really adore that about the French. You can just not make a plan, just go out and see the day. And I think that's really beautiful. I like to go to eat. I like to go to places that are lesser known. I like to sit at cafes and just watch the day go by. I like to be involved in my business. It's really fun to help people with my experience to find their new lives here as well. So tell me about the process from when you decided to start your business and the process that you had to go through first for changing your visa. And then what were some of the challenges that you faced when setting it up and and getting started? Well, I had to create a business plan that I had to present to the prefecture. And it was a very involved document that I needed a an accountant to help me create. And then you're you're holding your breath, crossing your fingers all that time to be sure that they will give you the appropriate visa. Uh, And so then they gave me the visa and then just starting my business, building the website, getting your name out there, word of mouth, marketing. It's all a process and it's still in the works. 
really helps to collaborate as well. It's like we just said, you know, you can't do it on your own. You you need a network. Operation is key. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting too, because we met at Broom a couple of weeks ago. And that's one of the things I had been thinking about for a while is we don't currently offer any services to 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 do housing searches and things like that. A lot of our clients, actually probably about half of our clients have actually been coming to France for years. Some a lot of them have already purchased a property to live in. So they kind of don't need that piece. But it is one of the other major challenges that people have when they get here is that, you know, a lot of them are very surprised to see how difficult it is to actually find a place to live long term and really underestimate what they're going to need to know and need to do in order to find a rental property. So what are some of the challenges? Do people really know what they're getting into before they come and work with you? I think that the service that I provide is tailored very well to the American sentiment, which is that we like to have things sort of taken care of for us. And we like to just arrive on site and have it ready to go. So that's the part that I really understand and try to focus in on and provide for my clients. But what I think that a lot of people don't realize is how important it is to have an attractive dossier. And if you don't live here, you don't have resources that come from here, it's fair to realize that a French renter is going to need a guarantee that you are not going to just run away and leave them with either an apartment in ruins or not paying the rent. And that makes sense because you would want the same thing if you were renting your property to someone. So a lot of times you kind of have to be willing to sort of I don't want to say lower your standards, but kind of take what you can get because the market is quite small. And if your budget is not quite large, then you're going to have some difficulty to, to, and you might have to just swallow a little pill. And, you know, maybe after a while you get settled in, you realize that you'd like to live in another area, then you can move on from there. But I think, um, just kind of wanting to get it all figured out as first at first is a trap that we fall into. And honestly, my journey, it seemed very difficult, but everything that happened along the way happened because it was supposed to happen that way. And now I am where I am because, because of my trajectory. And it's really a beautiful thing. You kind of have to let go a little bit of some of the expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people you know, envision coming to Paris and they envision like living in that big Haussmannian building and right. Having the Emily in Paris apartment and experience when a lot of times like that just isn't, I mean, especially if you're a 20 something, you know, person in a CD, in a CDD, like on a work visa, you're just not going to have the income and requirements necessary for getting one of those nice apartments. And yeah, I think people don't realize. And of course, the flip side to that is that tenants in France have a lot of protections. Like once you're in an apartment, it is really hard to kick you out, even if you don't pay. That's exactly right. That's why the standards are so high, because once you get in, 
they have a very hard time getting you out, as well as what will start in a few days here, which is the, the annual trev, which te- literally means truce, but they cannot kick you out of an apartment, even if you don't pay rent from the 1st of November till the end of March. So they're very yeah. selective about who they let into their apartment. Yeah, we had back when about eight or so years ago, eight, 10 years ago, when we lived in Aubervilliers, which is just outside of Paris, and it wasn't a great area. And we had, it was a camp of, I don't know, Romani, I guess. And they set up a little camp in an empty lot, a couple of doors down from us. Now we never had any, any problems with them, but they were not, they were, they couldn't even kick them out. They couldn't even remove their tents from the empty lot that belonged to somebody during the Treve Hivernal, which is like you said, from November 1st to March, March 1st, April 1st, April 1st, I think every year. So, and then that was extended, of course, during COVID, it was even longer that, that people couldn't be evicted. So it really puts a very high burden on landlords to be able to pay their, like, how, how do they pay their bills and keep their property if their tenant isn't paying the rent? So that's something that is taken into consideration when evaluating your your application. I think as a potential tenant, the the requirements that you can have are, you know, suggested minimum surface area, suggested meter squared that you want to live in, which is in line with your budget. The average Parisian rent right now is around 40 euros per meter squared. So just to give you an idea of the pricing and you know you can you can say that you want to be in a safe area that's a fair request to some people they're able to tolerate a little more i guess riffraff than others but there's some really great great areas as well with sort of the fringes a little bit less glamorous but that shouldn't deter you from a neighborhood in its entirety um And, you know, I think it's fair to give suggestions about like the style of apartment that you like, because there are more modern buildings. You might be someone who appreciates the older details of the Hausmannian buildings. I think the, the, it's, and, and maybe the, the, the arrondissement, the quartier, the, the area that you want to live. But apart from that, just be open and be be ready to let the journey take you where it will. Yeah. And I think a lot of people also come with the idea that, you know, they're retiring or they're far advanced in their professional career. They have a good income. They have money in the bank and they feel like they're probably a really attractive tenant to a French landlord. But the reality is like, if your income is foreign, if you don't have tax declarations in France for the previous years, if you don't have a French guarantor, you're not a competitive candidate, no matter how much money you have in the bank, because they don't That's care about that, especially if it's in the bank in the U.S. Absolutely. They have nothing that they can go after. So it's, you know, and I've also had situations where there are certain services that you can use a guarant here. And I've had cases where landlords will not accept that because. Yeah. Getting an apartment here is very, a very individual process. That's, you know, in French society, we really respect the individual. Everyone counts. And so you're dealing with an individual and this person may not care that you have a guarantee that is a French company 
you know, it just depends on who you get. That's why it's such a hard process because you might get rejected a lot, but get a lot of no's before you get a lot of yes. Yeah. Everything yeah. you do in moving over here, the visa, the getting set up. I mean, it's, you have to be ready to roll with the punches. I would say that. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, people need to realize like they're not really in a position to decline an apartment if they get accepted especially if they're working with an agency. Once you get over here and you get your footing a little bit, then you can start to climb up in the world. But at first, you've got to be a little bit humble. Right, right. Well, and I think too, you know, there's there's also a lot of advantages that come with working with somebody like you and with using a service that's going to get them into, you know, a long-term French residential lease. You know, there's other companies which are great for finding short-term rentals, even up to a year. But a lot of times they come with something called a secondary residence lease, which does not offer any of the same protections as a regular primary rental lease. And a lot of people that I see who try to do this on their own, who don't work with somebody or who go with one of these pricey agencies, end up with one of these secondary residence leases without knowing what they're getting into. End up with what we call the miet, the crumbs. So some of the advantages of getting into an actual residential lease are, you know, in Paris, you only have to give one month notice. Absolutely. The apartment, the landlord can't really say anything if you have a pet. In fact, I advise people not to even tell landlords that whether or not they have animals, children, whatever. You can have a renewable lease of three to six years. Yeah, one year. Yeah, a one year automatically renewable lease for a furnished rental and three years for an unfurnished rental. And unless you give notice, there are only very limited circumstances in which your landlord can give you notice. So you have a lot of protections that these secondary residence leases don't provide. And I think a lot of people when they first get here, fall into that trap. And it can be an expensive mistake. Absolutely. Very expensive. So what are some of the ways that you prepare people who want to work with you for looking for their apartment? My process is that we do a consultation and I find out what what your requirements are, what your interests are, if you have any specific places that you want to be near, things that you like to do. And then I go from there and I, I start the search and then I send you some listings and, and see what you like. And if you're, if you have an interest, then we will go and see the apartment together. And what were some of the things that you started doing? So during COVID, I know you added some other activities that sort of helped you to complement your income because that was a really difficult time for everybody in the relocation field since borders were closed and people weren't moving here. And yeah, so tell me about some of the other things that that you help people with. Yes, that was really difficult. So at that point, I added on to my services. I felt that move to Paris was a little too severe at that time. Nobody was really moving to anywhere at that time. So I added on a service where I help people with itineraries in Paris. You can tell me what you like to do, what you want to see, what you want to eat while you're here, and I'll develop an itinerary around that. Also, in addition to what I do today, I offer administrative services. When you move over here, you're going to need a bank account. You're going to need a phone. You're going to need to get your electricity set up. So I also offer services to help people do that as well. And then, of course, 
anything just to be your feet on the ground. A lot of people are operating from the United States before they get over here. And so they need a lot of help to get anything done. Just being present here in Paris, I can help people do things and administrative details like some letter writing and things like that. Just being someone who can be a resource for people here in Paris. If you want to move to France but aren't sure how to make it happen, the place to start is with the visa. Knowing your French visa options can help you to develop your vision of what your future France formation will look like and enable you to take concrete steps towards pursuing your dream of living in France. That's why I've written Foolproof French Visas, the complete guide to understanding and applying for French visas. It lays out all of the requirements for each of the 22 French long-stay visa types, from short-term work visas to family visas to the passport talent, from how to apply to pathways to permanent residency and naturalization. Foolproof French Visas is available in paperback on Amazon and as an ebook on yourfranceformation.com forward slash books. So what are some of the things that you like to go and visit in Paris and some of the museums and your favorite places to go? I really adore Montmartre. I love the history of it. I love the look of it. I like to go up to the Sacré-Cœur and sit on the steps overlooking the city. I like to take a bottle of wine up there and just look at the city and enjoy Paris's beauty. I enjoy walks along the Seine. I like to go to restaurants that don't really have a fancy sign or a fancy name, which tells me that the quality is going into the, the food and wine inside. I like to just be here. There's just something in the air. The sky even looks different. It's just a beautiful place to be. And I love the culture. There's that thing about there being a laissez-faire is really true. Uh, the French have sort of mastered this way of sort of letting the universe come to you, I think. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the things I still, I feel like I don't do it enough anymore. But when I lived inside the city, I would just, like you said, just walk out the door and walk to a new neighborhood and find, you know, appreciate the beautiful buildings. And now it sometimes takes me like somebody to come and visit me and show them around. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful here. I'm like, yeah, it is really beautiful here. I should enjoy this more. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's easy to get your head down in sand. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to, when you're here and you're on the metro and there's the strikes and it smells like pee and, yeah. you know, it's dirty and you're watching out, you're watching your stuff constantly for pickpockets or kids with petitions, like trying to get you to take your eyes off your stuff. You can stop enjoying it. And I think every so often we just have to remind ourselves what a beautiful place it is to live. Another thing that I really love about French culture that I have really adapted to my own life is the reduction of consumption. And that goes from the products that you buy, whether it be clothing or household items or even food, there's a real focus on not wasting and I really appreciate that because I don't think as an American, I've understood how to reduce my consumption to that level. You just, you don't need as much here. And instead of having a full set of 12 all service dinner plates and everything, you only need maybe if you're just a couple, you only need four, you know, just the power to minimalize. And also we don't go to the grocery store and buy a week's worth of food. 
we take that opportunity, we use it as a social opportunity to go to the market and speak to the local producer to buy our tomatoes and our carrots and whatever. And then you get discounts in the market when the farmers are bringing in new products and things are going to go bad. So it's always seasonal. It's always fresh. And it's wonderful to be open to eating what's available. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like in the U.S., one of the things that people do is it's not an opportunity to see what's available. It's really just grocery shopping is a means to an end. Like I need food to make meals this week and I want to do it as quickly and as cheaply and as fast as possible so that I can like go back to my job and make more money. Like it's, it's not really an enjoyment of food and seeing the produce and everything. It people get grocery delivery and that's not really a thing. I mean, it is a thing, but I don't do that here. It's more about enjoying the experience, like you said, and enjoying life and seeing your neighbor and seeing the farmer that you know at the market. It's really more about just pausing and looking around you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's so much at every stage of making a meal or eating a meal, there's that people looking for, for pleasure and enjoyment from selecting the food and making sure they get a good quality food all the way through. Quality is so important here and they really do a lot to follow up on the quality. There's the AOP, the origin protégé, Appalachian origin protégé. And if you have that red and orange sticker on your product, it means that the government is following up on the quality of it, that you don't want to lose your reputation if you have that sticker and you're going to make sure that it's a quality product. Well, there's Caroline Connor, who was my episode 37 interview, has the terroir podcast where she goes around with Emily Monaco and they talk about the different regions of France and all of the products and everything. And in one of her episodes, she talked about the difference between appellation protégée and appellation contrôlée and basically the politics behind getting one of those labels. And it's really interesting because they basically, all of the producers of a certain product get together and they decide like, what are the criteria for creating this cheese or creating this wine? What kind of grapes do we have to use? In what percentages? What is the geographical area that we're going to identify as producing that particular thing? And so there's a lot of politics that go into making those decisions. And so a lot of times it will be like the bigger producers that have the money and the ability to sort of strong arm the definitions of like what is an appellation protégée for Comté and what is what is it for Côte du Rhône or for Médoc or whatever and so one of the points that she made is that it doesn't mean that smaller producers don't produce the same quality or a similar item. It just means that, you know, they don't have the money and the resources to, to get into those political discussions. But it's so interesting, like how that kind of bureaucracy, let's call it, let's call it what it is, you know, comes up at every stage and how important it is to creating that patrimoine gastronomique yeah. that the French appreciate so much really a magical thing. And I think, yeah, the gastronomic meal is actually part of the French gastronomic meal is part of the UNESCO's intangible world heritage items to be protected, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite French meals and cheeses and wines? (laughs) I think that we cook a lot at home and I actually am 
uh, I cook a lot and I'm a fairly good cook, but my partner actually fixes most of the things here at home and it's delicious. We'll have traditional French things like he makes an amazing pot au feu, which is like a slow roasted cut of beef and vegetables, you know, like a stew. What have we been eating lately? We eat a lot of things that maybe have spices because we're so close to North Africa here and there's a big influence of that community and culture. So unlike a lot of the French, we do eat a lot of spicy food, which is good for me because I miss the most. I miss Mexican food from being in the U.S. That has been very difficult for me to adjust to. So I started cooking things like enchiladas and tortilla soup. But I think I I just love the ability to be able to go to the patisseries and just the the creations of art that they had. I love lemon tarts. I love yeah, I love the chocolates. All of it is so decadent and really just created from scratch. I think that's the, what I love about French food is that it's made from, if it's good, it's made from seasonal ingredients and it's fresh and it's, there's a lot of heart that goes into it and wine just, and give me anything. I love it. I love the way <laughs> they, they pair it with the dishes. It's incredible to me. The knowledge of wine is something that I do not have, but maybe it's something I'll, I'll continue to learn more about. Yeah. One of the things that I've really started to enjoy recently is I've never been big on cheese and I've never really thought out trying different kinds of cheeses. And I'm also not a huge drinker. I've never, I, I like wine, but I, I had not previously made much of an effort to understand it. I'll have drinks like maybe once or twice a month. And what's been really interesting for me is the past couple of years, I've done a couple of different wine tastings where like they'll give you the cheese or the sausage or whatever, and they'll pair it with the wine and they'll tell you like what cheese to drink with which wine. And it's so interesting. And I really enjoyed learning more about it. And it's stuff that I normally wouldn't, I wouldn't buy to eat myself at home, but going out and doing that with other people makes it really fun to discover. We take a lot of pride in the pairings and you can pretty much trust anywhere you go to be able to explain the basics to you and what, what wine is going to go with whatever you're eating. I think that's yeah. really admirable that they have such a respect for it. That's why I said, just give me all of it because you don't have to worry. You, you don't have to have a, uh, you have to be a sommelier. You can just go and say, I'm looking for this taste to go with this, you know, and they can help you out. Yeah. And pretty much any restaurant. There's actually, there's a French movie coming out that I really want to see because to me, this is like the most French thing ever, but there's a, a movie called La Dégustation. And I, my understanding of what it is from the one or two times that I've seen the ad for it is that it's basically a romantic comedy based on wine tasting and encouraging people to enjoy, like the sensual enjoyment of food and wine. Yeah. It is supposed to come out. Oh, it came out on August 31st. I missed it, but it might still be around. It might, it's probably still around. So we've talked a lot about the different things that you really like about living in France and living in Paris specifically. What are some of the things, if anything, that you find really challenging or that still kind of annoy you and you think that will annoy you forever? (laughs) I think that as with many people, 
who come here, I think that I did have that vision of Paris as like La Vie en Rose and Emily in Paris. And I, it didn't take me long to understand that, yes, there are those little pockets and bubbles of Paris, but, you know, it's a real city with real people and real problems. And it's not always shiny and glittery like that. But I think also one of the things that I love about Paris and France is that they always take their time to really have a human interaction. It's not a, a surface level interaction. If they're present, it's because they're really present and they mean it. And then on the flip side of that, I hate waiting in lines. So you know, when you're at the post office and the lady's pouring her heart out to the person at the desk and about getting the letter wherever it needs to go, you know, the flip side of that is that you're going to, you're going to have to wait in line. <laughs> yeah. And going into one of these wine shops or cheese shops, it is great. You go into one of these stores and you say, okay, we're inviting these people for dinner. I'm going to make this, what wine would go with it? Like, this is my budget. You know, this is everybody's allergies. This is, you know, the phase of the moon. And they will pick something out for you that is perfectly paired to whatever you're having. But you know, it's a longer interaction. It's just, it's not just picking something off the shelf. And then if you're the second client in the store, you're just kind of waiting and hanging around until, until it's your turn, no matter how long it takes. And you will not be acknowledged until, until it's your turn. Yes. The flip side is that things take longer. And sometimes you can be waiting in that line and the store might be closing before it will be your turn. And you know what? Too bad. It's closed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, they would make an exception if, you know, you're the person that they know because you go there every week and you have that personal relationship, then they will be willing to go and make that extra effort for you to make an effort to have those conversations. Like, even if your French isn't very good or good enough to have those conversations in the beginning, like if you develop that personal interaction with your local wine shop or your local cheese guy or whatever, you know, they will be willing to make the extra effort for you or recommend something or order something special for you or... Someone gave me an analogy once that I think makes a lot of sense regarding, you know, how we as Americans, we can see the French as sort of cold and hard to get to know. Someone told me once that Americans are like peaches and French are like coconuts. And... Mm -hmm. Americans are very sweet and juicy on the outside and easy to bite into, but we have a hard center that really, it takes a while to get in the middle of it. And French people are like coconuts. They're harder on the outside. It takes a, a lot to crack in, but once you're in there, you're in. So yeah, I think that makes yeah. sense regarding the differences in our, the way that we interact. And or that you realize that the easier your transition here will be. Sure, sure. So is there anything that you feel like you miss from the U.S.? I miss my family. It makes me sad to think that my parents are getting older and that I'm not there to be by their side. I miss my home state. The, the nature of Arkansas is really beautiful. I miss going to the lake and, and those Arkansas things we used to do. Every time I go back, I bring back Cheetos, Nilla wafers, relish, and jalapenos. 
you can get here, but they're very expensive because of the import prices. So there are certain things that you just never forget. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's going to be even more difficult to get some of those things now because I, there's one of the stores in central Paris called In Good We Trust, and it's right near the Pompidou Center. And I go in there every so often, you know, I get a, get a craving, like I, I've got some candy corn last week just because it's that time of year. So I always chat with the guy and I tell him he can post in the Americans in France group if he wants. And he tells me all of the woes of trying to import American stuff because there's like a coloring that is, you know, not legal in the EU or, you know, the, the EU has banned a different chemical and now they have to test this stuff for some additive that who knows so the result is going to be that it's going to get harder and more expensive to import this stuff because if if they try to import something and it gets banned like they lose that whole shipment and they lose the money that they paid for it so yeah we have to learn to make it on our own I never thought I would learn how to make ranch dressing but I did Yeah, I mean, Valley, but you know, it's probably cleaner. (laughs) Yeah, probably, probably more healthy. I mean, it's funny because like, I don't get that kind of stuff a lot. But knowing that you can go get it if you really want to is nice. It is nice. What are some of the things that you bring back from France when you go home to visit family? I usually try to bring back a couple of bottles of wine as gifts. My mom likes little ceramic rabbits. So I'm always on the hunt for a little c- ceramic rabbit here to bring to her. She has a collection now and they, they all talk to each other, she says. <laughs> and I've expanded that into birds. She likes birds as well. So sometimes I'll bring one home and she'll say, I'm not sure he's going to get along with the other ones. He's being a little too snobby. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he might not speak the language too. Like if he is French, then... There could be a language barrier. Right. Yeah. Other than that, I, I am not that great at bringing stuff back. I think maybe you, maybe I need your help on that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always racking my brain for what present to bring, but I think anything that has to do with, you know, culinary or wine is a good gift. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about where do you see yourself in five or 10 years? I don't want to answer that question. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I've got too much stress right now with like my visa and everything else. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a point and maybe you've reached it already. And if not, then what would make you feel like you've reached it? The point at which you feel like Paris is home. I think I've reached it. Um, Settled here. I want to stay doing everything that, that I can to stay. It's just, it gets very challenging when year after year, you sometimes, depending on your visa, you have to prove why you should stay. And after a certain amount of time, I've been here seven years, so that gets exhausting. And you just, the longer you're here, the easier it will be to stay permanently, but it's a long, hard process. And it can get very tiring and it can be very taxing on your relationships as well, because it's a lot of stress to go through. So that's why I think it's so important to have a resource like you, because I think that you, your value is really, truly there. If you're doing it alone, it can be life-changing 
and it can impact all the people around you as well. So it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. You feel the same way going to the U.S. So I try to keep it in perspective that if you wanted to immigrate to the U.S., it would not be that easy as well. So you just kind of have to take it and and roll with the punches. It's not going to be easy, but you have resources and you can make it. Yeah. Yeah. And I tell people that too. And I, I mean, I certainly don't feel like I would be qualified to answer anybody's immigration questions about the U.S. because to me, that's even more complicated, I would say you need to get a lawyer, you need to make sure that you don't make any mistakes anywhere in your application. Whereas for France, I feel like, you know, it's very paperwork heavy, but it's also mostly administrative. It's not, you don't, you don't need a lawyer to do it. You can do it by yourself. It's possible. It's annoying. It's a lot of work, but it's possible and people do it. So yeah, I mean, there are challenges of living anywhere else because you have to adapt. Yeah. So final question, what advice would you have for somebody who might be thinking of moving to France? I would say follow your dream. It's, it's an amazing life path. I would say be ready to be flexible, to roll with the punches, to have some things not go your way, but just to realize that it's challenging uphill climb, but everything on the other side of it is going to be good. And to use your resources to to integrate yourself with the American community. You don't have to hang out every day and make plans to go to dinner and coffee. You can, you can utilize the the relationships as often or as, as non-frequently as you'd like, but integrate yourself to some extent as soon as you get here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Profiles in Transformation with Allison Grant Luness. If you liked this episode, please like, subscribe, and share on social media. I'll see you next time for a new episode. And in the meantime, I hope we've inspired you today to pursue your dreams, no matter how big or small. Remember, the way you bring your own dreams into reality is by believing in yourself and taking small steps towards your goal. Start today, start now, and à bientôt.